Hey, everybody. Welcome to Draft Politics. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and uh, I'm, as always, joined by EJ. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us again in week or episode 17, 18. 17, I believe we're on. Yes. You can't even keep count anymore. I think that's a good sign. Right? You exactly. can count on us. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're here at uh, Millibrow Tap Room in uh, Logan Square. Uh, it's a it's a lovely little place. I've I've walked by here a few times and thought it looked like a good place to stop by. And we're recording on a Sunday this week, so we had a little time to come out here and yeah, the Middlebrow Bungalow. I mean, I think we'll talk a little bit more in the beer section, but I gotta say we're outside. It's nice out. It's a little overcast, but the temperature's good yeah. and the beer is good as well. Exactly. Lots to talk about this week. Yes. Um, Lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is, I feel like this has been one of the longer weeks in recent memory. Um, you know, we, we start off the week with uh, you know, the, the shootings that had happened uh, in Toledo and uh, not Dayton. Uh, Houston and Michigan. Man, they, this is... <laughs> so, you know, I, one of the things that gives me a little bit of perspective this week in, in hearing all this is... We try to keep this a little lighter. You know, we, we talk about a lot of, yeah. you know, what are important issues, but we're trying to make it so that you don't walk out of this, like, wanting to just break things. It's like... Right. So... I mean, of course, we're drinking at the same time. Yes. Which is sort of our own way to level things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the guns is a little bit tough this week, but we're going we're gonna to plow through this. I promise you uh, we'll get to some more entertaining things uh, as we go, and we'll try to keep it from getting too heavy. Yeah, so it really was. It really was a, a long. It's been a long couple of weeks, you know, when we look at the shootings that have occurred in California, Ohio, and Texas. Right, like this is uh, as I think probably many of our listeners think. Hopefully, all of them think is you know a uniquely American problem, uh, where it's out of control. It's out of hand. Yeah, and you know. There's a lot of political blame, you know, that gets thrown around and, uh, you know, certainly the sadness uh, that happens and, and hopefully support of the the victims and their families. Um, but more, you know, more support, less photo ops, <laughs> more support, less photo ops. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we look at, you know, we look at El Paso and say, and everybody immediately went to that as being a very politicized event. You had a shooter whose name we'll never mention, um, who wrote a very long, you know, diatribe on uh, one of those posty websites, 8chan, um, I guess is double 4chan, um, that's now shut down, actually. Their host kicked them out. Yes. Um, but wrote this very long anti-immigrant uh, diatribe that echoed lots of language that we hear from uh, our president and from Fox News and other conservative media. And you know, there's no way not to think that that's, you know, that words matter here, right? Oh, for and sure. This is a, a guy who drove 10 hours to what is called the Mexican Walmart. I mean, like, it's, it's frequented by people uh, who come across the border. It's a, it's a, yeah, there was it, no way not to. It think was that not. This was you know, targeted. it wasn't. He just woke up angry one day, just targeted whoever was around him. You know, wasn't. You know, it was very specific, very political. Um, you know, and 
and the connections between his words and Trump's words are impossible to deny. So, yeah, and the coverage around this has been very weird. There was, you know, Trump picking political fights with people. You had the New York Times. So Trump did a a speech where he delivered a, a very much a call for unity. Yep. And it was yep. all just right off a teleprompter. He immediately on Twitter within hours started undermining everything he just I, said. I, I think he gave it I think he gave it 23 hours. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, but but I mean almost I think almost made it a day. That's the case. So he started <laughs> the day tweeting about how it was terrible and they thought he thought maybe background checks, you know, we should look at background checks again. And maybe tie that to immigration, because let's take two issues that can't ever work on their right. own and slam them together. But that that's fine. And then sort of set some expectations about what his speech was going to be about. And in fairness to him, he he did read from a teleprompter, but sort of said some of the right things. Um, just, just long enough for the New York Times to give him a little credit with their right. with their headline: "Trump urges unity versus racism." Right, which that, even they thought that was too much and changed it halfway through the printing process. So, uh, like I mean, you think about a lot of this; it all goes back to Columbine. But where I feel like the sort of modern change was around uh, the Sandy Hook, and and until we get the right people in power and the right pressure is applied on them, it's going to be hard to get anything done. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, uh, McConnell has said that he would uh, put something forward. Right. Sure. So He's not bothering to come back from his injury. So. <laughs> well, so, you know, since, uh, since the House has changed, changed hands, two big bills have been passed around background checks and red flag laws and some other things around gun legislation, neither of which have been brought up in the Senate at all. Yes. In any in any semblance. So, you know, the president said, well, I've talked to Mitch McConnell and I've told him that, you know, we need to do something. And so Mitch McConnell, you know, said, well, I'm not going to bring everybody back from holiday, but I'll give instructions to people to look into maybe having some hearings about some of the issues in September. Yes. Which I think is him saying, I want to do as little as possible. Hopefully yeah, nothing. He's, he's trying to kick it down the road, hope yep. that the political pressure dies off and that he can just let it go. And, and you know, I mean, he's, he's taken perverse pride in keeping things from, keeping positive things from happening. So I don't expect that trend to change. But, you know, hey, maybe if the pressure keeps up, he'll, he'll have to do something. Yeah, so I... I do want to say, you know, what's been interesting, I think, is the whole cycle, again, of, of Donald Trump trying to be sort of somebody who comforts, right? Because it's it's sort of antithetical to his general image. Um, and I think an image that he cultivates, right? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, an image that he cultivates to say, I'm this tough guy and I'm always going to win, I'm always going to attack. You know, trying to make a trip to, to El Paso, trying to make a trip to Dayton. You know, the, the messages coming out of those trips being very mixed and weird. You know, and I think you brought up before, he sort of picked a fight with Sherrod Brown, Sherrod Brown, and uh, the mayor of Dayton, um, whose name has just escaped me, but I'm sure it'll come back to me in a minute. Um, you know, where they both said some... Dan Whaley. Thank you. Yes. Um, they both said some positive things about the interactions, and his reaction was to attack them. Yeah, which was odd. No reason. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and then you know going down to El Paso and you know hearing these stories that that victims who were in uh, in hospital did not want to see Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, the weirdest one of these was there was a baby who's both lost both of her parents. Her, her or him, I don't know, but both parents were lost. Um, and the so got checked out of the hospital. The uncle who was taking care of the kid um, apparently is a Trump supporter. Ended up bringing the kid back to the hospital for the photo op, which is very strange. And it yeah. was the weirdest photo op ever. It's like... Here is the baby who just lost two of their parents. Trump with a big grin on his face and a thumbs up. It was like just total non sequitur. He just doesn't like realizes like what he's what he's presenting right now. Yeah, what there. just happened? Yeah, to exactly. That child. Yeah, All right. Total lack of empathy, which doesn't really shock anybody. No, no, not at all. Um, and I guess the you know the other reactions sort of across the the board have been um, some predictable, some less predictable, but interesting. Um, we had the as you always get the blame the video games, right? Uh, blame the video games move. That was good. Yes. I, I I play video games and and I have to say, I'm probably gonna have to kill you right now, EJ. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's just insane. Illinois does have red flag laws, right? So, so now I've been red flag. Damn yeah. it! No, it's 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 crazy. It's they've had extensive studies on this. Uh, where video games are not linked at all to any sort of bad mental health outcomes in general. Yeah. Um, actually, social media usage, like us on Facebook, social media <laughs> usage is far more linked to bad mental health problems than and, uh, yeah, video games. Violent but video games. No link. Lord knows, nor loads, nor, Lord knows Captain Twitter is not going to uh, no, shut that sure. down. And when you, you know, if you look at sort of the amount of money spent on video games versus number of mass shootings. Surprise again, you're not going to see any right. link there. Right. Um, South Korea, who leads the world in spending money on video games, has none. Yes. So there it is. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and of course, this all sort of reaches its pinnacle of Walmart removing violent video game displays, but still selling guns. Right. Which is, so. so I would say this. If you honestly believe that violent video games will encourage people to shoot up anything. Um, why are we selling those people guns? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, right. your logic breakdowns, breaks down pretty quickly. Yeah. I, and I did, of course, like Ted Lou's statement. Ted Lou, who may be the most quotable, at least for oh, our yeah, standpoint. Oh, yeah, he's a favorite yeah, of mine, for sure. Said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, playing Pac-Man didn't make people fat. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Ted Lou. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for Thank that you for your moment service, of brevity. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it was a it's a long week. I think we've pretty much covered this though. So yeah. I, I do. The, the other thing that I thought yeah. was interesting, and I, I want to bring up because I want to ask you a question about it, was okay. uh, Joaquin Castro, uh, who is represents uh, represents Texas. He's brother. Uh, he's he's the brother to to Julian Castro, who's you know running for president. Um, released, uh, not even released, I think that's not the right word, sort of published on Twitter a list of the El Paso residents who are the biggest donors to Donald Trump. Right. Which sparked this whole thing. Yes. Right? Um, 
now all this is public information, right? All yeah. of these things are they're pro- he's not, you know, digging into anything. He's just going to a website, looking it up or Yeah. You could just yeah, look up the donors and somebody how else. much they gave and yeah. where they're located and yep. Uh, but there were a lot of people who were uncomfortable with this. I think both Democrats and Republicans and you know, sort of people saying like you shouldn't do that and other people saying, Why wouldn't you do that? So I guess, you know, my question to you, Steve, is how do you feel about it? Um, it used to be that the Huffington Post had a website you could go to where you could like see like you like it was Google Maps mashed up against FEC data. And so you could see how much money your neighbors gave to whichever candidates. And so I could see, oh, my neighbor down the street in the very nice house maxed out to the Republican presidential candidate. Oh, okay, interesting. Nice. Um, you know, I'm gonna I, go play some violent video games. I mean I think it's I think it all comes down to how you're framing it. I mean, like the information is out there for a reason. We want to be able to have mm-hmm. some knowledge of who it is that's backing candidates and, and what their connections are. Um, are you putting that out there and attaching some implied violent act to it? That's where the line gets crossed. Is if you're just saying, here are people, because you should have a conversation with them, you should protest their businesses, that's all like well within the bounds of. Like, as yeah. long as you're well within the First Amendment of this, we're fine. It's when you start getting the Second Amendment of this that is a problem. So, Yeah, I can take your point there. Yeah. I, I, you know, to me, I think there is, there is some line there. You know, I feel like if those people have businesses that could be protested and, but like, absolutely yeah. you know, publish those business names, I, I feel like while that information is out there, it's a pretty big leap yeah. When emotions are so high. Oh, sure. Um, and uh, look, you know, it's a strategy. I don't know how well, well it's, yeah. it's going to go and for him in the end, but I, I, I don't I don't really sort of the shaming of individual people feels uh, feels like it's not effective. Well, I mean, it depends on who you're trying to affect, I guess. I mean. I, I, my guess is if somebody's a maxed out donor to Donald Trump and you're giving them pressure for that, yeah. they're probably not, they're, they'll still go out and vote for Trump. The question is, are they going to donate the next time? You know, I mean, so there is, you know, and, but it's, it's you know, it kind of gets back to the, the polls that we saw in the last election yeah. where people were Trump voters but didn't want to say so in a poll. And so the polls were a little, at least a little off yeah. because they didn't want to say it out loud. And so is it actually shifting what people believe and what they say and what they're willing to do? Or is it just forcing them underground a bit and it's still there, and they're, but they're just being quiet about it? Yeah. And I did read that a couple of those voters at least also donated to Joaquin Castro. So, which is a thing, right? People right. donate. And that's, play yeah, both people sides donate because the they want to go to the, I mean, they want to go to the cocktail party where all the nice people are that they can make networking connections yeah. with or there's all sorts of, you know, other reasons that people donate to candidates that don't really fall within the normal bounds of party politics. Yeah. And I, I think we'll continue to see some things fall out from that and, and what's happened uh, in the last few weeks. And I guess what I would say is, you know, again, we talk about this a lot, you know, it's, it's, Words matter. Conversation matters. We have to keep the conversation going uh, because what everybody's hoping is that the news cycle moves on and that the political pressure on the Congress yeah. dissipates. That it, that it, yes, that history repeats itself again because that's yeah. essentially what keeps happening. Um, you know, I mean, in 2012, there was a good amount of 
pressure around putting some kind of legislation out there and basically it dragged on long enough and the NRA started twisting some arms and nothing got done. And so we find ourselves here where we now have a Senate that's totally against doing anything. So we have to both get a Senate that is willing to do something and put the pressure on them to actually do it. Yeah. And I think it would be worthwhile at some point to kind of dive into some of the laws that they're talking about, some of the things that have kind of been brought up and challenges to those. Um, I will just very briefly, I will say that they're all like, ooh, red flag laws. That's kind of a bullshit thing to do. Um, it's, it's, it's actually doing nothing but providing grants to states to do something about it. Yeah. Which you know they won't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on a non-lighter note. <laughs> we're, we're starting off with the, you know, it's like, hey, I got good news and bad news. And, you know, like, do you want the good news first, the bad news first? We're doing the bad news first. And then, right. well... And then the other stuff is good news necessarily, but at least we're... It's all relative. Relative news. It's all relative. So ICE, everybody's favorite favorite first three letters of your 90s rapper clan. Right. Um, You know, has has did a whole bunch of raids in the last couple weeks. Um, Mississippi targeted food food plants. Um, Almost 700 people arrested. Yeah, right. about it was like 680, but yeah, almost 700. Um, 300 were released later. What I'm not clear on is how if those were people who shouldn't have been arrested in the first place, whether they were like released to come back later. However, that was so it's a little cl- unclear on that. Yeah, and I, if I have the numbers right, it's zero managers or anybody who hired anybody, right? Right, zero, right. The right. Business, okay. just, business itself. Want to make sure they did. They're going to lose some money just because they've got some hundred employees not not able to do work anymore. But but right. that's there's no criminal or you know civil uh, prosecution of them right. in any way. Yeah, at, at least at this point. Yes. Right. You know. Hey, and uh, I think that one of the main facilities there is owned by uh, Coke Foods, and it's it's spelled the same way, but it's absolutely different than the Coke Brothers that we already don't like. But this yes. is a, a uh, an Illinois company, a guy that started with one farm and kind of has built it up over a long time. He's pretty pretty wealthy guy, owns food processing plants in Illinois and Kentucky, et cetera. Um, they've had some issues in the past. Um, obviously, no criminal problems there around their immigration their hiring practices, although they they're like, oh, I don't know how this happened. We use E-Verify to make sure everybody is well. Clearly not. Yeah. Um, uh, so it has an Illinois connection as well, um, and I I think the Tribune is doing some more investigating into the company and these guys. So I think we'll see some more interesting stuff from them over the next few weeks. Um, but you know, you kind of you kind of tie that in with what happened in El Paso and it's it's a very tough week if you are uh, for I think the entire Latino community yeah right I mean yeah uh, not not just sort of crazy people who think that they should be it's killing but also the government there's just a broad you're not wanted and that ranges from bureaucratic versions of that to violent lashing out versions of that um yeah and uh, other interesting thing with this is that the the 
this Coke Foods. Apparently, there was a bunch of sexual harassment problems with the workers there. Yep. They recently got in trouble for that. And so there has been some suggestion that maybe that this was like some sort of like blowback from that. Whereas like, you know, and it's hard to know where all of this comes from. Um, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit around this is there's a, there's this broad assumption that if you've got undocumented workers in those plants that that affects wages because they're paid less because they're not you know they're not documented and so that's a problem for other people you know who would otherwise conceivably get those jobs that they're stealing your jobs right right um the thing of it is right now if you look at employment generally unemployment is very very low right now the main problem we have is wages are still low and these these people are working in these plants they can't organize they can't join a union and fight for higher wages or anything like that because they are undocumented and if we had a system where they had better legal position within that factory then they could then push back yep. they could get higher wages and we would all presumably if all goes well all get higher wages but because of that separation and because we're saying that they can't that makes yeah. it impossible for them to do I, that and i think one thing one other thing to be clear about is that there's nobody else to take these jobs it's not like you know the community itself was sort of rallying around the the children and the families they they weren't celebrating it right this yeah. was not a community that said oh fi thankfully ice has yeah. come in and and opened up all these jobs for people in the community because there's nobody else to take these jobs. Right. Right. And the community also recognized what a impact that's going to have on those families. So oh, for sure. I, you know, I, you know, like when this you, is not, there's no, nobody is winning from this. Yeah. Like there's not like somebody, Stephen Miller, somebody winning. else is getting their job. Right. It's like not somebody else is not getting a job because of this. Somebody's not getting paid more because of this. No, it's these families are being harmed by this. That's it. That yeah. is the only thing that's happening here. How about some Schadenfreude? Is that gonna, <laughs> is that gonna make us feel better? Time for this moment in Schadenfreude. Uh, so we talked about Mitch McConnell. Uh, it seems that for some reason Kentucky political. Uh, Kentucky Senate needs a lot of surgeries this week yeah. or whatever. Um, so we got uh, good old Moscow Mitch. Uh, broke his shoulder, apparently. Fell off a ladder. Fell off a ladder. Uh-huh. Trying to get up onto his high horse, you know, presumably. I, you know, I know he was trying to make the team. He might have to go on injured reserve. We'll see how it goes. But uh, he says he's going to be back for the, the opening of the session. But he's working from home right now. Wait, wait, do, do, you th wait do you think he fell off a ladder with air quotes? Do you think there was a... <laughs> Do you think he fell off a ladder? Right, you right. Will, it's like you will tell everyone you fell <laughs> off a ladder. <laughs> right. Is he, the the Russians are getting a little tired of the you know whatever he's like not doing enough for them. Yeah. To come over, twist his arm a little hard. Oh, ow, shoulder. You are weak. Yes. Your arm is broken now. But you know, it's funny because he said he's going to work from home. Like, what? What were you doing? Like, yeah. you're. So the Senate's not in session. So you're not supposed to be there anyhow so what and what does he do i mean I like i can uh, only imagine he's stopping the menu from coming to the like, kitchen do, does he have like a maybe he has like a workspace like he goes to like a 
like a community workspace to when everyone wants to do is corruption instead of working from right. home. Brought to you by We Corrupt, a communal workspace where you can learn how to siphon funds to foreign governments. So, yeah, so he's got that. <laughs> and uh, Rand Paul apparently had to have part of his lung removed. Uh, this was damaged in the assault uh, that he had in 2017, where his neighbor, let's recount this. Uh, his neighbor uh, apparently was very annoyed with him putting lawn debris on like the property line. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but basically it was an ongoing point of tension. Eventually right. his neighbor uh, kind of broke and ended up uh, attacking him. So he ended up getting some bruised ribs uh, and apparently some a little bit of lung damage from it. So I, had to get that cleaned up. I mean, okay, I don't want anybody really hurt. And it, it's like, that's right. not yeah, the right. Absolutely. No. But I can only assume that Rand Paul, as a, as a strict libertarian, paid for this out-of-pocket Right. Uh, he couldn't I'm let sure. the government pay for this, yeah, right? So or of course. Maybe. Yes. I'm sure he shopped around, found found the cheapest doctor he could. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. To get part of your lung removed. That's how it works. That is how it works. Whew. So, negotiator-in-chief, back at it with China this week to uh, predictable result. Yes. <laughs> so, he keeps cranking up the tariffs, and China, of course, realizes that one way to make their products cheaper in spite of tariffs is to lower the value of their currency. And so they started to let the currency drift below a, a threshold that makes the markets panic, and that's what happened. And so we had a couple of days where uh, things were looking pretty sketchy, and then China sort of pulled back from that. I suspect probably some very wealthy investors are like, we're going to pull out of China or something like that. There, I'm guessing there was some sort of side-channel pressure there. but Sure. Sure. And it, it's an interesting thing what happens when, you know, the markets start to, to fluctuate, right? Because the economy, as Guy Rizdahl from Marketplace and NPR likes to say, the economy is not the markets. Uh, yes. But people certainly start to take notice when the markets go down. Yeah. You know, you can it, apply It's a driver of psychology, if not, yeah. you know, if nothing else. So. It, exactly. Like, when tariffs go on some products, you don't see those, you know, when you're at Home Depot or shopping on Amazon for a few months. But somehow the markets get very scary and very squirrely for yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just more continuation of the, why are we doing this yeah. drug Well, and I think activity. the biggest thing is going to be the, you know, China saying that they're not going to buy agricultural products in the U.S. anymore. Yep. And ultimately... The things are just going to get shuffled around. So China is going to say, well, we, we aren't going to buy wheat from the U.S. Any now, anymore, so we're going to go buy it from Ukraine or wherever. So now all the logistics networks have to redirect everything. They are now going to be paying more for that product because they're competing against others. We'll then go to the U.S. market because they're not having the same problems with us, and then they'll have different prices because they have to ship it differently. It ends up being this big mess that just adds adds a little friction to the whole global economy. Yep. And ultimately, that makes everything more expensive, and it puts a sort of drag on, on the, the world economy. Right. And I think just the uncertainty, right? So let's say, and this is a, a real-life case. So right now, American lobster is too expensive. Okay. Okay. I mean, and in my mind, nobody, nobody does lobster but the U.S. Like, lobsters stop at the border with Canada, in right. my mind. Right. Right? Like right. They just stop there. 
we built Australia. a wall. Us, you've got Australian lobster tail. Come on. Okay, and Australia. So Australian, it's Australian Maine are literally right. the only sorts of lobster. That's it. Okay. That's it. You've got to have that kind of accent yeah. to be. It's kind of similar. <laughs> yes. We've sure. built the lobster wall to stop the lobsters from going north. Yes. But pay, now. Pay, pay for by <laughs> New Brunswick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got the supply chain has to say, well, do we shift our supply chain to Canada, which comes with costs and risks? Do we just raise prices back to, to China, but they think that that's not viable now because it's too expensive? Or do we wait it out? Right. And uncertainty is never good for the economy. Yeah. When you're thinking about hiring people or laying people off or expanding or investing, you do so based on your belief that things are right. going to get so, better. So, yeah, if you're constantly shipping grain or lobsters across the ocean, you can do a three-year, five-year contract with a shipping company to say, hey, we're going to hedge our prices and we're going to say, yep. this is how much it costs to ship lobster for the next five years. Well, if then suddenly you can't, that lobster gets so expensive that it doesn't make sense to ship it anymore, you're now out the money from the boat on top of everything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're more likely to place a bet on something when the outcome is more known. Yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it makes you nervous about what you've already done, but also makes you nervous about what you might want to do in the future. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, I feel like we should talk a little bit about Impeachment Watch 2019. Yeah, so I'm everything's got to be great. I feel like they're doing now. their best to try to like slow roll this and pretend nothing's happening. So it's like we had all this build up to to the Mueller testimony and Congress and and a couple more people switched to saying they're in favor of impeachment and we finally reached the point that half of Democrats were in favor of impeachment and then there was like this is sort of quiet announcement from the Judiciary Committee saying, yeah, we're doing an impeachment inquiry. Like, okay. Like, psst. Right, hey. like, do you guys just not like, I mean, you know, I'm terrible about, I mean, you know, you'll see with this podcast, like, I'm not good at marketing. But, <laughs> but like, I figure at least, you know, I'd make it more of a point to say something. Well, and it's almost like, I think that there, as we've said before, there is a certain amount of, legal weight then given to some activities if it's part of an impeachment inquiry. Right. But they also maybe don't want to amplify the sort of very Trumpian talking point about always attacked and this thing is a witch hunt and so trying to strike some weird middle, middle yeah, ground. Good, good, good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's it's frustrating as somebody who who's like he's committed crimes we should do something about it um you know if you're you know if they have some strategic notion of well this actually works better if we bring this out later and and it plays in the election and whatever okay fine you know but i i continue to see this and think they don't have a plan i it feels like it i've yeah. got a hope almost against hope that there is some plan there yeah that Somewhere there's a whiteboard. There's this with deep a level of chess going on that we just don't yeah, yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. And they'll see it. And if we do this little announcement here and these three lawsuits pass, then this yeah. information can be. But I don't know. It, it feels like 
it feels like not much is happening. Yeah, so we'll <sighs> we'll report news as it comes out, but I don't expect much. No, <laughs> no, me neither. Um, although there was some some news about some documents that oh is from banks that yeah. got turned over to Congress. So you know, basically Russian connections for Trump. Maybe something will come of that. Who knows? Right, like ten thousand pages of documents from Deutsche Bank. Yeah. Again, we'll. I guess we'll see, or maybe we won't see. Come on, Jerry Nadler, do something. Right. Anything. Anything. Um, it, uh, something we've brought up a few times, and I think uh, it's it's really important to to kind of keep checking in uh, on our friends in Puerto Rico um, for a couple of reasons. But you know, I think. For me, the most important one is we keep seeing some uncertainty and some shift there um, that has all come out of sort of a third of the population taken to the street, demanding that the governor step down. Um, since he stepped down, he, you know, per the Constitution, uh, the, 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 the person essentially who's the attorney general, nominally the attorney general, it's a different title, is supposed to take over, uh, but she said she didn't want it, and so the governor picked another guy, and then the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that because the Constitution says it has to be the person in this other role, and so she was sworn in as governor, and she still doesn't want it, and her party doesn't want it. It's still very muddled. So three governors in a week in Puerto Rico, there will probably be a fourth Um, it's a very muddled situation, but it's also a situation that's come about because a, a, a group of people have taken action, right? The people there uh, made a decision that things weren't acceptable and they were going to drive for change. And I think that that's, that's awesome. And, and as, and as an Illinoisan, I have to say, good job, but none of them going to prison. It's always an upside. (laughs) I, you know, here's another thing I learned just kind of researching this and learning about it. Puerto Rico has the highest voting percentage of any population in the Northern Hemisphere. Really? Why so is that, is. EJ? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. So it's a population of, you know, three-ish million. Yeah. You know, give or take. I, but I don't know. That blows me away. They're not a state. I think they should be, for the record, but they're not a state. A lot of decisions that happen still have to get approved by Congress that they don't have a vote in. So they have one representative, and she doesn't actually have a vote. She can sit on committees and some committee votes, but, you know. Yeah. But the people there, Puerto Ricans, vote at a higher rate than anybody else in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere. Well, good, good on them. Uh, something else I want to talk about on the national side is something that we've we've come back to a few times. I think it's something that I care about a great deal uh, because it, it sort of speaks to checks and balances. The So we have a, a director of national intelligence. It's somebody who's supposed to sit between all of the intelligence arms, FBI, CIA, NSA. They're supposed to coordinate intelligence efforts. Uh, and this was a position that was created by statute after 9-11, you know, because they said we had too many silos and nobody was talking to one another. So we're going to have one person in the middle. So uh, Coates was the, uh, the DNI. He's leaving. 
He did not get along too well with the president. President nominated somebody Which he else. He was there for a long time yeah, he was. in spite of not getting along with the president. Yeah, he was. It, uh, um, and you sort of think he must have been pretty good if he was there that long and didn't get along. But, right, right. Um, I don't have any real measurement for that. The person that was nominated to replace him backed out because he was an idiot. Pretty Shouldn't much, have been yes. nominated in the first place. And then it became clear that there needed to be an acting DNI. Now, what's interesting here is that in the statute, it says who is supposed to be the acting DNI. This is not a cabinet secretary leaves and the president yeah, it gets works to much more him. like the president being seceded by the vice president being seceded by the house, speaker of the house right yeah it's mapped out and that person was sue gordon or is sue Ger- gordon actually so she was the deputy uh dni somebody who's been in the intelligence community for a long long time um unexpectedly she resigned and then the president was able to sort of name somebody, Joseph McGuire, as the acting DNI. So, you know, there are a few weird things about that. The president attacked her very specifically because she was besties with some people that he didn't like. Um, and she's been around for a long time, right? She Multiple also probably did not give the proper loyalty oath, you know. <laughs> I mean, right. that's, that's the thing with Trump is like, if you're just not his guy, that's all that matters. Yeah. Doesn't matter what your resume is, et cetera. Um, and the the word from the Washington Post was that she turned in her resignation with a note that said, you should have your team or something like that. And so the president then... <laughs> not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> kind of that, right? And the president, you know, named Joseph McGuire, who is a former SEAL and heads up the National Counterterrorism Center uh, and has for the last year... Um, as the acting DNI. Now, this is a pretty important position. There's nobody currently nominated now, right? So that's kind of open. But this is this continuing pattern of the president saying, like, I'm just not going to nominate people. I'll pick my own people, stick them where I want them, and I essentially have no oversight. Right. And it's terrifying, right? This is maybe terrifying is too strong. But it is exactly... Or, or maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe it's not. You know, but it's exactly what checks and balances are supposed yeah, to prevent. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, in theory, what should happen is that the House and the Senate should have the oversight and should be putting pressure on the president to, to do what needs to get done and making sure that they've got the information. Uh, he's pretty much stonewalled the House and the Senate doesn't care. So. Right. You know, it kind of leaves us in a weird position where there really is no effective oversight. And yeah. fundamentally, the the way that oversight happens is you always have the big stick of impeachment. And you right. can always go and say, hey, if you don't give us these documents, if you don't go through the process, we can always come back and just get rid of you altogether. But since that's totally off the table, both because of, of you know, Moscow Mitch and also because of the Democrats in the House not really quite being up for impeachment yet, you know, this is right. where we find ourselves. Right. And the only other thing you could do would be the advice and consent aspect on appointees and being able to right. fill. And if you never actually make an appointment, who cares? Who cares? It's really it's really difficult, I think, to for me to accept yes. that this is the way that things are supposed to happen or are going to keep happening. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. So one other 
big thing in national news in the last day or two has been uh, uh, Epstein uh, committing suicide in prison. And if you are, so there's several different interpretations I've seen of this. One is Epstein kills himself. One is Trump kills Epstein, and one is Clinton kills Epstein, depending on your political persuasion and your fondness of conspiracy theories. You can end up on any of those. Frankly, the list of people who might want him dead is so vast <laughs> that I don't think you can pick on any particular person in your conspiracy unless you really want to. It is funny how... Uh, nope, actually, there's nothing funny about this. Let me, yeah, let me, well, let me back that up and say... It's, it's it has been funny about any of the stuff we yeah. talk about, really. Even people that I find to be pretty <laughs> logical and reasonable folks saying, like, yeah. boy, that seems weird. Well, I mean, you know, it's certainly... It is something that should be investigated, and I would love to see it investigated by parties that have no skin in the game, can be objective and neutral about it. I don't know if those exist at this point in our government, given that everything rolls up to William Barr. So who knows? I my guess is we're going to find we're going to find in two years from now the official story is going to be he committed suicide. Four years from now it'll be the same thing. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. And I don't think it really matters necessarily. There's actually some, I was saying there were some legal implications of like, because, because he's dead, there's some stuff that, some information coming out that nominally he could try to file to prevent because he'd have standing. But since he's not there, nobody has standing. And so therefore that information may come out um, that otherwise wouldn't. So this might be bad for the people who you sure. know, may have connections there. So. Sure. Just as bad as him getting up on the stand and saying, like, oh, yeah, he yeah. was there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here's his menu of options that. Right. Ah. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, of course, hey, uh, Tweeter in chief retweeted some conspiracy theories. Of course he did. About the Clintons. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but he's a terrible guy. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, but that takes care of all the national news. Let's, let's, let's breathe. Breathe. I'm going to take have, a sip have of a this sip of very beer. nice beer. Yeah, cheers, cheers. All right. I think and this is the first time in our podcasting that we've ordered the same beer at the same time. Ah, Vera. The Vera at uh, whatever that tavern oh, that's was. that's true. That's true. That's We're getting true. ahead of ourselves to the beer know, part of the I segment. Know, so. I know. It's, it's wishful thinking. Almost there. We're almost wishful there. Wishful thinking. Just I'm got with you, listeners. All right. So You're already thinking about skipping ahead to yeah, the beer. Yeah, I know. So, you know, we had our national news, a lot of heavy stuff there. So let's talk about two countries with nuclear weapons getting cranky with each other. That'll make things all it the better. It is actually lighter. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. the lighter news, everybody. Uh, so... So Kashmir has, uh, so we're talking about India and Pakistan, and, and Kashmir has been a contested territory between the two of them for some time. Uh, it has a sort of limited autonomy, yeah. and uh, that's basically India has largely taken that away in the last week or so. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when the British essentially split up India and Pakistan, it, Kashmir was... You know, one of these border regions, um, it is primarily Muslim. You know, there was a war fought over it in 1948 or something like that. Before they both had nuclear weapons. Yeah. The, the sort of status for a long time has been based on 
Indian law that kind of says, okay, if you're in Kashmir, in the Kashmiri region, you can only buy property if you're Kashmiri. You can only do certain things if you're Kashmiri. If you are Kashmiri and you marry somebody who isn't Kashmiri, you suddenly can't do some of those things. But I think that law was meant to protect the population there, apparently. Now, the ruling party, uh, the party of Moti, um, the BGP, they really don't like this. And, you know, depending on who you ask and what you read, most Indians don't like that the Kashmiris kind of feel like they're separate. And so, essentially, they got rid of the law. So now it's possible for Indians anywhere to come into Kashmir and buy property to do... It essentially makes the Kashmiris, Indian citizens, the same which as is, everybody which else. Which is problematic because Pakistan doesn't like that. And, no. And, and, you know. Yeah. And the, the ruling party has really been trying to make India less of a secular state and more of a, a Hindu-based state, right? Right, and, right? So you can see there being lots of concerns Lots of concerns there. And China didn't have, didn't like it either. They bordered that region as well. And that was actually nominally part of Modi's reasoning. Well, China's got too much influence in that, yeah. in that area. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So this has kind of been on a higher boil uh, than it has been historically. It's entirely possible a lot of this comes down to domestic politics and just like there's been, you know, Indian economies have been slowing down. So this may be an attempt to... Trump, you know, to trump up some nationalism. I didn't mean it, but it's how I ended up there. Um, but you know, to rely on some of that to to try to distract yeah. people. So yeah. you it, know, it, we'll see what happens. It but. certainly could be that. Um, I, I the other thing I will say about this is that for all of us worrying about you know tensions escalating, Pakistan is doing things in a very rational, rational way. You know, kicking out diplomats and going to take it to the take it to the UN which probably won't come to anything but that's what they're doing yep. um, and you know for being the world's largest democracy the way this was done was done in a way that wasn't very democratic um, yeah. so kind of yep. rammed through very strong managed there are curfews in place you can't no communication in or out that kind of thing um, I mean it's something to something to think about and you know, we'll see if it becomes the next West Bank, right? Or it's a population that is sort of marginalized by a much larger one. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, so, yeah. Can and I then, talk about Brexit for like two oh, minutes? Oh, yeah. Because you know I love it. Oh, yeah. Love it. Um, and so, and so, so, so British Trump said what this week? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know. Crazy, crazy bore. So, you know, here's what's going to happen or what might happen. Like... They're still hurtling towards this Halloween spooky date of I've got to have a Brexit deal. Nobody can figure anything out. No movement has really happened. Eventually, there will be a vote of no confidence that says, you know, should this party lead? Um, and there are a whole bunch of laws around that. Everybody's expecting it to get to that. And nobody's willing to bet on whether or not the vote of no confidence will pass, which means they'd have to form a new government or have elections. Right. People are saying, like, well, Boris Johnson is angling for that, and then he's just going to say, I'll shut down Parliament. So have there's no, no vote of no confidence, then by definition, yeah. everybody's confident. It's well, fine. no, have the vote of no confidence, Yeah. but then shut down Parliament, 
until after October 31st. And so there's no government. Just, just white-knuckle it into Brexit and say, yeah. all right. Yeah, people are afraid of that. And, you know, they've asked him directly and his party directly about that. And they're kind of like, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an option. Yeah. Well, and ultimately, the EU parliament could then extend it again in theory. So they could just say, well, all right, we're going to extend the deadline again. But, you know, who knows how much. Like, it's not clear yeah. what their interests are in doing that or whether at that point they're just like, all right, you, you guys can't be saved from yourselves. Good luck. And Yeah, there's certainly a, it's certainly a weird game of chicken. Yes. <sighs> so, all right. That think that gets us to our favorite segment, Circus 2020. It is. Circus 2020. Election Circus 2020. So uh, one of the things that we've been kind of monitoring is after the last debate, was there any major shift in support for all the candidates? And the answer is not no, really. No, not really. Um, you've got Sanders and Warren getting a slight bump, like 1.6, 1.8%. Now that's off of a handful of polls. So we're talking inside the margin of error and how yeah. long that lasts, who knows. Um, you know, Booker got a bump. Buttigieg got a bump. Gabbard. But none of them were that big of a improvements and they're still well Booker and Gabbard are still under th two and three percent uh Buttigieg is just over five percent now yeah hard to you know so really not a lot there we had a couple big losses uh but once again when I say big it's you know 2.8 percent for Harris 1.9 percent for Biden it's not a major shift no I mean I think we're we're looking at that and saying yep no impact yeah um, which, I, I'll be honest, I kind of think is good. We need no impact because we need to start winnowing down to the September. Yeah, I would definitely much prefer it's like, okay, we've got people actually paying attention to debate with, you know, the five candidates who actually have a shot at this rather than it being, you know, the battle royal between 20 candidates. I mean, at least this time it looks like we're going to be 10 or less and they'll all be on one night. Yeah. Worst case scenario, if we get over the 10 threshold... You know, you're then breaking it up between two nights because I'm assuming they're not just going to have one person standing on the stage by themselves. I think that would be hilarious. Although, yes, that would be pretty funny. It's just, just, just Bernie just going on a, a tirade about, you know, billionaires. That would be awesome. I, three hours of that. <laughs> I will say I saw a debate, nominally, a debate during the last municipal elections here where two of the three candidates pulled out at the last minute. And so it was one of the candidates yes. answering questions. And it was... It was awesome. Yeah. But also a little sad. Yeah. But also awesome. Yes. Very awesome. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Because right now I think we're at nine, right, for September. Yang just yeah, got in. Yeah, we're at nine. There's a couple who are sort of on the bubble. Yeah. So we're probably talking max of ten at this point, which means we'll only have one night. Now, so it'll be too many people on the stage, but at least they'll all be like, the people you expect to be in sort of the final run of this. So, like, you'll be actually ha able to have Warren and Sanders and Biden all go at each other all at the same time. Yeah, that'll be great. So right now the nine are Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, Harris, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Sanders, Warren, and Yang. And then, Sounds right. Yeah, and then on the bubble. So they've met the donor requirement. Remember, there are two requirements. Uh, Julian, don't call me Joaquin Castro, and Tulsi Gabbard. Um, so we'll see if either of them can can get into the the polling threshold. 
Yeah, so far Gabbard's got the Google threshold, but that's about it. So, but that's that is it. Although that does kind of lead us, you know, talking. We, you know, the poll, the polling is really based on national polls, but people are, and this is probably not good for those candidates. People are focused on Iowa right now because Iowa State Fair this week. I read sixty-nine different foods on a stick. Nice, right. America. And America, right there. <laughs> uh, and the Des Moines Register has their soapbox that people get to come up and stump from. Seems weird to say soapbox and then stump, but either way. You know, it is a both a stump and a soapbox. Yeah. It is a stump box. Stump box. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, so, like, you've got the polls from there. Uh, Biden, you know, just as in the national, Biden's in the lead. Warren, though, actually does better in Iowa uh, you know, at 19, so the one I have here is Biden at 28, Warren at 19, Harris at 11, Sanders at 9, and Buttigieg at 8. So definitely much more in favor of Warren. And, you know, I think you have to, the way this is all playing out, if Biden doesn't win Iowa, that's going to fundamentally undermine the whole he's the most electable. Right. And right, so. Right. I, and I think the, the other side of the polling that I found really interesting was done by uh, Seltzer and the Des Moines Register and like they're famous are, for their carbonated water. Yeah. <laughs> they're also famous for their polling of Iowa. Oh, okay. Uh, so and they talk a lot about, you know, how to get at these populations because you've got 20 people. And one of the themes coming out is there are just too many damn people. Oh yeah. And so they kind of went through this methodology of like, okay, who is it? You know, who's your first choice? Then who's your second choice? And who else is on your list? Like, who's even in the realm of possibility? Yeah. And they're smashing all those up into what they call a footprint, which I think is a really a really clever and, and smart way to do it, right? So when you look at, you know, the combination of people I'm kind of, I know the most about now and I'm in favor of, to my second choice, to I'm really interested in, you know, you have a footprint that shows, you know, that shows... Biden and Warren having like a an almost identical footprint, and Warren even maybe Biden a little bigger. Warren? Yeah, Biden and Warren. Huh. It's, it's wrong in the list. So, you know, looking at that now, Biden is still the number one, has the plurality number one. But but when you look at who are people considering anywhere, yeah, Warren is is right there with him. The the person sort of on the list for. Uh, for people to get to know more of is Harris. Yeah. Um, and she and, and Bernie kind of round out the top four. And then Buttigieg is, is just below them. Right. So, you know, and then it's nobody. Yeah. So, like, there's very clearly a top tier in Iowa when you, you look know, at it from, from their approach. And I was just, uh, I have a question for you. When do you think the first Democratic debate was in, 20, in the 2016 primaries? Oh, man. Um, I'm humming because I don't want there to be dead air as I try to think back to it. Don't worry. I'll chop in some uh, Jeopardy music I, I, here yeah, for you. Yeah, exactly. I think it's... I'm going to go... January of 2016. No, no, no. It was it was October, so it wasn't it was October. Wasn't that okay. bad. But 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 you think about this like the third Democratic debate is going to be in September. Yeah. 
like mid-September. So by the time we get to October, we're going to be down to the same, roughly same number of candidates as we were going into that debate. So it's like we're not, the difference here is we've got these 20 candidates, most of whom are not going to go anywhere, have barely budged a poll, and they're all going to fade away. And we're going to be down to the, the four or five candidates, just like we were last time, except last time it was Clinton and Sanders and somebody who shot a man one time. And that's pretty much it. Um, so, and a former Republican. It was a weak year. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so, we're not tracking that differently. It just seems like, you know, I see all this hand wringing about, oh, you know, we got to find our candidate, and you know, just just relax, people. It's like we're not there yet. <laughs> we started really early this year. We're gonna winnow it down, and we'll be fine. Yeah, and I I did see in that same data, and this is. And I think this is a, a reinforcement of that. You know, people were saying, like, we're we're waiting. We want to learn more. They also were saying, like, electability, that whole electability concept, not that big a deal for them. Yeah. Fourth or fifth. It's good. That's good. Yeah. And we're six months out, right? So, so we're six months yeah, out from got the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, we've plenty of time. And, you know, and right I think a lot of it's going to shift. the corner. And if you look at the way things have gone historically, like, as you get closer to Iowa, people are paying more attention People in Iowa are paying more attention. Yeah. Things will shift, and we'll see what happens. Right now, I think that if you look at the, the momentum, I think Warren seems to have the strongest momentum going for her. But Biden is the immovable object. You know, he's, like, staying right around 25 to 30 percent in the polls. You know, and so if he can hold that position and kind of just keep getting first place by attrition— you know, he might be in a better position in the long run. Uh, although I've got to say, and I and I almost hate to say this, some of his sort of weird gaffes over the last oh, yeah. couple of weeks have been, are yeah. they troubling? Yes. I think that's troubling is the word, right? Yeah. He, yeah. All right. So there was a th- his 303-3033 thing, whatever. Um, then, you know, briefly going back to the shootings, he, he was saying the wrong locations for where the shootings happened. Um. He said he was the vice president when the Parkland shooting happened, even though he had been out of office for a year. Now, I get there were many shootings, things blur together, but come on. Um, And then, (laughs) this is so bad. So he said, poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Now, he, he... he immediately realized it sounded weird and, and added in, you know, or rich, you know, rich kids and Asian kids, yeah, and like sure. threw in a bunch of other things, other types of kids. But, he, but, he, and, you know, I don't want to read too much into that, but it just reads what I see when I hear all that is, or what I hear when I hear all that is a guy who, in competing with Trump, is going to keep making mistakes and he's going to have things that Trump is going to be able to hone in on and pick apart and there's going to be endless ads of his gaffes being run. Sure. And so is he the most electable in light of all of that? And I continue to think no for many reasons, but that reason certainly isn't helping him. It's been weird. Yes. I mean, I mean the Parkland, I, well, actually all of them really. All, all of them all of weird in different ways. The, the 30333 thing, that's like actually the least, least yeah, of an issue. Yeah, like, I, you again, know. in last episode we were joking about that as being, wow, I can't believe he did that. Now it's like... I wish he was just uh, doing that. Yeah, 
Could you get back to the not understanding the internet? Use your rotary internet? phone to yeah. dial me. At, like, okay, fine. You're just a little outdated on this. That's all right. Do they still need an area code? <laughs> <laughs> if you have sprint for long distance. <laughs> uh, and I think outside of, outside of that, um, we actually lost one. We lost Gravel. Yes. Gravel. Farewell, Gravel. Indoor um, Sanders on Indoor his way Sanders out. on his way out, which doesn't really surprise me. Um, I, I, I imagine that Sanders will be getting a tremendous Gravel bump, uh, but probably not. Because <laughs> most people didn't realize Gravel was even running at that no. point. No, no, no. He's, he's entertaining. I'm giving him that. Like, yeah. he, I, I enjoyed his, uh, his experience in the 2008 uh, primaries. He was, he was throwing all kinds of random stuff out there. It was good, but uh, yeah. But Marianne Williamson still yeah. there. Now saying that there's a big left-wing conspiracy to keep her from being on the dis- debate stage. Of course. Not super helpful, Marianne. Um, Not super helpful. Although, who did have a good week was Beto. He did. Um, there, are, there are small children around us, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to filter this a little bit. Yeah. But uh, he said, uh, this all came up around uh, the El Paso shooting. He actually suspended his campaign, went down to El Paso, and the press were asking him stupid questions and he reacted as one should to that yeah and he said you know in, in response to trump you know the beep blank he's been saying yep. uh members of the press what the beep and that he's inciting violence and racism and so like beto has seen so overly controlled and not really able to have a good voice in the debates this was an example of him sort of finding that that yeah. whatever that is that he has that was really good for him when he was running for senator. I think, frankly, he's just not a very good debater, and he didn't really do well in debates with yeah, with uh, Cruz either. No, and um, Cruz is a pretty good debater. But, so. yeah. So, yeah, it, it was a good week for him, uh, you know, politically speaking. You know, obviously, being from that area, not a good week for him, but you get, you get what I'm saying. <sighs> Let's see. So who else we got here? Oh, Steyer. Uh, so Steyer has been spending a bunch of money. Making it rain. That's pretty much it. Spending yeah. money. <laughs> he's, he's 1% in the polls. Stick with what he's, you know. Uh, he's, asking for, he's still asking for more donors on Facebook because he doesn't have enough money of his own, I guess. I mean, he, he has to. It's the weird thing about this He can't figure out a way format, to donate right? to himself 130,000 times. Come on. I mean, you know, I've read that it, it, it's costing like $42 in ads to get $1 in donations. That's totally believable. It's perfect. Yeah. Maybe he could fund other people's ads for donations. I. He's, he just likes to, I, I don't know, he just likes to waste money is, is, is all I can I, get I out of this. Set it on fire someplace. Keep us warm. Yeah. Constantly. So, yeah, I think that pretty much uh, wraps up Circus 2020. Oh, Warren continues to slowly climb in polls. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty yeah. much it. Yeah, uh, no, she's going to keep sort of got that. there. She has a she has a plan for that. Yeah, and I think we should. We didn't talk about her her gun reform plan that actually has some targets and some goals. Targets, no pun intended. But I will say one thing that I did notice in there: she explicitly called for ending the filibuster in part of that. Yeah. So you know, so I mean, I, I like that she's being bold about that stuff. It's going to be. It's going to be hard to do it because she has to rely on senators who nominally gain some power from having the filibuster signing off and killing it. But I like that she's being honest about that this is a problem and we have to end it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We'll see yeah. what happens. But anyhow. 
All right, people. That was a, a long Whew. week. Whew. But we're finally to the beer segment. Oh, thank you. Thank God. you for writing it out with us if you're still listening to the podcast. Yeah. Be sure to rate yeah. us on iTunes. Yeah, if you're Stitcher, drinking already, thank whatever. you as I think well. you can rate us anything other than iTunes, technically speaking. So. Again, I still think there's a Stitcher rating system. I haven't found it yet. But. No, I haven't been on Stitcher. Anyhow, so tell me about the beer that you're drinking. Well, first of all, let's, let's review. We are at the Middlebrow yeah. Tap Room. The Middlebrow Bungalow. Called the Bungalow, yes. Yeah. It's nice. And we're like... It's like they've kind of converted the parking lot in. They've got, like, benches out here. It reminds yeah. me a little bit of, uh, of uh, Off Colors. Yeah, it does. Room. It does. Um, yeah, and it's, it's rather nice. It looks like they have a pretty good little food selection here. I've seen other people eating. It looks delicious. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really like the location down here in Wicker Park right on Armitage. We're at Logan Square. Logan, Logan Square, Square, sorry. Yes. Logan Square. Right. Logan Square. <laughs> it's, it all blends together. Yeah, on Armitage, just west of California. Yep. Um, Right next to a camera store, so I yes, that's this actually why you used to be. It. So this building used to be more of the camera store, and so they shrunk down the camera store, and then put this in here. So nice. My 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 now wife used to live just down the street from here, so that's how I know this. God, <laughs> I, I assumed you knew it because of the camera store. Like I just yeah, well, yes, they're yeah, not. Okay. it's not unrelated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I and uh, I'm having. So I, I've had an is this it? So the names are really interesting here. Their beer names are Peaches, House Sour Number no. Two, Still Beer with an exclamation point. Uh, is this it? Bungalow, Milk Eyed, Mender, Comfort. And then they have a rotating gluten free option, evidently, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I've had the Is This It today. It was it was pretty good. It's a pale ale, kind of uh, mellow, not much of a back on it, so really sippable and drinkable. Um, I, I yeah, I really really enjoyed it. It's like kind of low ABV. Yeah. And I started with the House Sour number two. Uh, I have not checked that in on Untapped yet. I feel like that's going to be a fun one to tap. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And then uh, now I'm drinking the uh, Bungalow, which is their lager. And it is it is good. It's a little hoppier than I like, but <laughs> not, not too aggressively so. I, so I'm also drinking that now. And I was thinking it's crisp. It's light. You know, it's, it's the right amount of hoppiness for a lager for me. So... It kind of it kind of makes sense if you're listening to the cast. You Feels know. a little more pilsner than lager. Yeah, than it me, does so. feel a little more pilsner. It's all right, but it's it's they're we close. Were, can we were talking about this is you know one of the few times we've had the same beer at the same time. Yes, so. um, and it's really really quite tasty for a kind of muggy day here in Chicago. Um, really enjoying it, and and I've got to say I'm I'm definitely going to be coming back here um, just as a place to hang out outside these nice kind of communal benches. You know, a small but looking good food menu and some interesting fun beers. Like yeah. this is a, Those are very a good. good a good place. Come on down. All right. So yeah, that pretty much wraps us up. Uh, this is the end of the national international segment, and then we'll be uh, doing our local segment. So that'll be out in a couple of days. Uh, thanks for joining Thank us, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Take Have care. a good one. <laughs>